Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, let's try that again. That was poor. Good morning, everybody. That's good. Thanks for your warm welcome here this morning. You'll be glad to see I am wearing pants in, in more than just one way. That is okay. It's, it, it is good to be with you today. Um, is it me or is it uh, quite hot in this place? Is it, is it? You know, you have to realize I come from a place where, you know, 50 degrees Fahrenheit is kind of where we're at most of the year. 60, high 60s is really quite warm. In fact, if it goes above 70, we begin to fear for our lives, you know? So, uh, <laughs> this is kind of hot for us here, and uh, my, my wife Allison loves it. Uh, she, she's a person who would gladly receive a calling to a higher, uh, sort of hotter climate. Uh, but uh, myself and my daughter, Lauren, we, we, we struggle a little bit. I, I was talking to Lindsay the other evening. He gave me such wisdom. He said, this isn't hot, he says. This is one shirt weather. He says, it gets so hot sometimes it's two or even three shirt weather. And I, I guess I know what he means. Well, anyway, it's wonderful to be with you. And can I say thank you, uh, not only to Richard, but to you all for this opportunity to come and share in, in your service this morning. Um, I know as a leader of a church and uh, I lead a, a group of churches over in, in England and South Yorkshire, and uh, I know that, you know, the pulpit is a sacred place from which the Word of God goes, and so it's important to protect our pulpits, and I'm, I'm grateful to Richard, who doesn't know me yet, uh, you know, to take the risk on the recommendation of, uh, of Kiva to, to have me in your pulpit this morning. And I just assure you that I take that privilege not lightly. Because uh, in the end of the book of Job, you read about how um, God is angry with Job's comforters, his friends, because, and he says it in chapter 42, they have not spoken what is true of me. I, I live in fear, I live in respect and awe of God, that each time I preach, He gives me the grace to, uh, to speak what is true of Him. Um, I was well prepared the other evening as well as I met some of the men folk from your congregation. I've mentioned Lindsay already, Gary and John and, and Alex, who assured me that they would make sure that I was preaching sound doctrine this morning. So I'm in trouble if I'm not, you know, so we're going to be of best behavior. Can I also say that I've been enriched uh, by your, your website uh, at your church. I've been connecting with it uh, over in England over the last couple of uh, months, and uh, I've been uh, listening to the sermons that have been preached here, and uh, I thank God for Richard's ministry. He's a man who loves God's Word and who digs deep into it so that he can feed the people of God in this place well. And so I'm grateful for myself for Richard's ministry. I'm here because of my association with uh, Kiva. Uh, she stole my story about the pants. Isn't that really bad? I was going to use that one anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'm on what's called sabbatical at the moment. Do ministers have sabbaticals here? 
yeah, well, we, we've got, I'm on sabbatical, which is like a 13-week sort of step away from normal ministry. And I said, as part of it, I would love to come and experience the Church of God here in Texas. And uh, it's been a great experience since we arrived on, on Thursday. You've been so hospitable. You've been so welcoming. And it's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I say this quite genuinely, uh, but when I speak about Kiva, that our loss in South Yorkshire is well and truly your gain. I wish I could have been here last year to commend her to you, but you already know, I'm sure, what I know, that she's a wonderful woman of God who loves the Lord dearly and loves His people and loves to connect the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with those who don't know it yet. So I'm grateful today for this opportunity to share in this way. I bring you the greetings of the Rotherham and Dern Valley Methodist Circuit over in the South Yorkshire of England. If anyone doesn't know where that is, look at the map of England that's about halfway up, okay? And uh, I bring you the greetings of my circuit. It's about a thousand uh, people in our church, our circuit, gathered over 20 different sites smaller congregations. A big congregation on our, on our circuit, one I minister at, has 150 members. That's a big church, all right? A small church is the sort we give to Kiva, <laughs> which is about 15 members, which you'd hardly call a house group, you know? Um, but that's a very different situation which you work. So, I bring you the greetings of my circuit today. Can I take your greetings back with me? Would that be okay? I'd love to be able to say welcome back from you. Wonderful. I also today uh, bring you the greetings uh, of the Irish Methodist Church. I'm originally uh, from Northern Ireland, Ulster, and uh, today I come representing that church. I'm a missionary uh, in England. I'm a missionary on that pagan offshore island uh, of England. Uh, coming from God's own country of Northern Ireland. You thought it was Texas, but it's actually a local call to God from Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland has all sorts of connections with America. Apparently, 23 of your presidents over the years have had some sort of connection with Ireland. And Abraham Lincoln, for example, has very strong family links with Northern Ireland. And in fact, where I grew up in Londonderry in the northwest of Northern Ireland, we have a number of important connections that Texans will appreciate. Davy Crockett. Yeah? Davy Crockett's family came from a place called Castle Dirk, which is just about 20 miles from where I grew up. All right? So, there you go. You have a lot to be thankful for me this morning. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> All appreciation can be shown later. That's fine. And um, I don't know if… Do you have… I mean, I, I know the songs you're singing this morning, which is great, but um, do you know the hymn, There is a Green Hill Far Away? Is that one you would know? There is a Green Hill Far Away, written by Cecil Francis Alexander from Londonderry, the same city as myself. And there is a Green Hill. Uh, she was surrounded in Londonderry by green hills. They're called the Sparren Mountains. Uh, outside a city wall. Londonderry is a, a walled city. And she wrote it from that context. All things bright and beautiful. Have you ever sung that hymn? Yeah? All things bright and beautiful. The purple-headed mountains of Donegal. The river running by. The foil river that runs up that valley. So today, uh, I bring you the greetings of, of the Irish 
Methodist Church, uh, which is a wonderful place where it gave birth to my faith and uh, to nurtured me in my early discipleship, shaped much of who I am today. Most of all, can I bring you the greetings of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love and we serve in South Yorkshire, as you do here in Texas. Can we read God's Word this morning? I want to read to you from the Old Testament book of Exodus. I believe uh, it's going to appear on the screen, and uh, it's from Exodus chapter 3, and reading from verse 1. I'm reading from the uh, new inter- the NIV, the, the New International Version, or as we say, the NIV, the Northern Ireland Version. <laughs> All right, okay. So, chapter 3 uh, of, of Exodus. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses uh, thought, I will go over and I will see the strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And in chapter 4, Reading from verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, and he took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put it into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. We thank God for his word this morning. Amen. I've been given the topic to preach on today, if I only had one 
sermon to preach. I'm grateful for that topic uh, because it gives me an opportunity to speak to you from something that's really on my heart, something that I like to preach on. If, if you put my back against a wall and say, preach now, you dare, I'll preach this sermon, okay? Uh, because it's something that is dear to my heart. It's a, an insight that I got when I read that passage some years ago that has been a, a now word, a, a special word to each place that I've brought it. My prayer is that it might be for you today also today. I've called my sermon, What is in Your Hand? What is in your hand? You will see the significance of that question shortly. I notice when I've been driving around the area, you have some Presbyterian churches in this area. Presbyterian churches have all but died out in England, but in Northern Ireland, where I come from, they are the dominant uh, Protestant uh, denomination. And uh, if you go to pro, uh, Presbyterian churches in, in, in Northern Ireland, you will find the pulpit is quite central. The Word of God is, is important to them. And, and on, the, on the front of the pulpits, there's often what we call a fall. It's like a drape that comes on the front, like a banner. And it is always pretty much the same. It's of the burning bush the burning bush. Because for the Presbyterian faith in Northern Ireland and that expression of Christianity, uh, that moment when God reveals Himself to Moses and the, the scheme of salvation takes a whole new chapter uh, is absolutely vital in their understanding and their emphasis about God. It's one of the key moments uh, of God intervening in human history and uh, giving us insight to His character and His nature. The latter chapters of Genesis tell us how uh, Joseph and, and the brothers uh, all got down into uh, Egypt, and then we're told that as they grew in numbers, the, the people of the land, the Hamarats, the, 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 the people of Israel, um, became more and more numerous until the Egyptians started to feel threatened by them, and they were oppressed. And sometimes as the people of God in a culture, we certainly know this in South Yorkshire, and certainly it is the truth about many churches all over the world today. They know what it is to live in a place where they feel oppressed, and they feel persecuted, and they feel run down, and they often feel hopeless in the face of all the adversities that they face. I don't know how it is for you in your faith today. Uh, but sometimes we find ourselves in that way. Uh, and here, just for a few moments, can I notice a few things in this passage with you? First of all, it does. The Word of God comes at a time when they are feeling pretty beleaguered, when they are feeling at a low ebb. That often happens. Remember Isaiah? Uh, when Isaiah receives that great calling, it is in the year that King Uzziah died time of national mourning, a time of feeling out of sorts. Ezekiel talks about being beside the exiles in the Kabar, near the Kabar River um, out in Babylon. It's a place of being out of sorts. And in being in a place of being out of sorts, uh, not feeling things are quite right, is a good place to be, because often that's where God's revelation comes. We like to be up on the mountaintop, spiritually speaking. We like those experiences that make us feel, hey, it's great to be in God's house, and woo, wonderful. Uh, and yet, tops of mountains are often arid places. Uh, it's down in the valley where it's more difficult, but that's where the rivers are. That's where the vegetation is. Uh, and often it's in the, the darker times in lives. Uh, 
Give me a frustrated Christian any day over one who's happy and satisfied. You know? Because when I have a Christian come to me and says, a brother or sister in Christ, who comes to me and says, you know what? It's really hard just now. I'm reading my Bible. I'm just frustrated because I'm not getting enough out of it. I'm reading, I'm saying my prayers, but they seem formal, and I want more than that. And when that happens, I want to break out the popcorn and the coke and say, woo, we're about to see God do something new because they have a hunger and a thirst for more of God. And so, being out of sorts isn't a bad place to be. Isn't a bad place to be at all, you know? Um, Who knows that, biologically speaking, while we're hungry and while we're thirsty, we're still alive. Yeah? You only stop being hungry, and you only stop being thirsty when life has stopped when we're dead. And so, hunger and thirst are a good thing. And so, into this context, God speaks. Moses has been walking around this mountain for 40 years. He's been walking around this mountain trying to look after these sheep, this simple thing, day in, day out. And here in this moment, he is a revelation of God, a God who knows his name, Moses. And Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? He says he knows each of his sheep by name. He knows your name. He knows not just the name of the person sitting beside you, in front of you, or behind you. He knows your name. He's got your number. He's got your address. Uh, And that's one of the things that absolutely thrills us about God. He's a personal God. Um, George Lucas and the whole um, uh, Star Wars uh, films, you know, they talked about the force. We don't believe in a force. We don't even believe in a power or an influence. We believe in a personal God who knows us by name, who knows you by name. Moses, Moses, the, the ground you are standing on is holy, so take your shoes off. We can sometimes be very pally with God. I don't know if that's a word you know, pally, you know, um, too friendly, too familiar. And so, um, he says, hang on a moment, you're on holy ground. You're going to take me seriously. You're going to take this holy encounter, and you're going to take it seriously. So, He reveals Himself as a holy God, and He reveals Himself as a God who knows about what's going on, and that He's interested, and He's going to do something about it. Uh, sometimes when I'm in prayer meetings, I don't know if this happens in Texas, um, uh, but sometimes when I'm in prayer meetings, it's almost as if we're like God's secret agents, letting Him in on the secret of what's happening down here. You know, God, you know what's happening with Mrs. So-and-so down the street, and, you know, she's a lovely lady, but she's got that real problem with, you know, and we just want to pray about that. It's almost like uh, holy gossip or something going on in a prayer bed. Uh, maybe that doesn't happen in Texas. I don't know. But it happens where I live. Uh, and uh, God knows already. God knows already. You know, there's sometimes in ministry, and, and when we were living in a frontline place over in South Yorkshire, that's really difficult. It's not that we've got persecution in the form of people knocking on the doors and telling us to close or pull us away, but what we have is apathy where people look at the church and say, it's not relevant. They look at the church and they say, what you've got to say, we're not interested in. Uh, and to face so, such 
derision uh, is such a difficult place to work in. Uh, and the church is at a real low ebb in that place. But sometimes, you know, we come to God in our prayers and say, God, do you know what's going on here? And I've yet to be in a prayer meeting where I have sensed that the presence of God, in the presence of God, the Holy Trinity, the Father is saying to the Son, my goodness, look what's happening down there. And the Spirit says, my goodness, how did they get themselves in such a mess? What will we do? I've yet to see um, God or uh, have the revelation of Scripture revealing to me a God who behaves such a way. The Bible I read tells me He knows and tells me here in this passage He wants to get involved. In fact, He is involved. He's working out His purposes. He's working out His destiny. He's doing His thing. And so, uh, we, we rejoice today. We rejoice today that, that the God we worship is a, is a missionary God who's on mission. I, I love, uh, one of the things I love about this church from what I've heard through Kiva and what I've encountered over the last few days uh, and what, what I've uh, read on your website is your passion for mission. I love that about this church. Uh, and I've seen and read, heard about different places that you've been and visited all over the world. I think some of the young people are even going to be brave enough to come over to South Yorkshire next year. They've, they've braved Columbia and other places. Next year, they're coming to South Yorkshire. Pray for them. Bless them. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a heart for mission. But, you know, the church of God doesn't have a mission. The, mission, the missionary God has a church. Do you hear that? Um, it's not that we have a mission and somehow help God out. <laughs> is that the God of mission is getting on with it. He says, come and join me in what I'm doing. Come and join me in what I'm doing. We're not doing God a favor when we go out and share the good news. We're not doing God a favor when we go on our mission trips and express our, our faith in that way. We're, we're actually taking part in what God's already doing. And so Moses hears this great news. I have seen what's happening in this place, and, and I'm going to do something about it. At that point, you know, he calls upon Dean and the group to get up here and start singing this worship. Let's get all the optional choruses up there. And Moses is having a great time. He might even have danced. Who knows? He might even have raised his hands. Who knows what he was up to? But there comes a moment where God says, by the way, I want you to do it. And that's when the excuses start. That's when the excuses start. You see, he's excited while he thinks God's going to do it. He thinks it's great when God's the one who's going to sort out those Egyptians. <laughs> he thinks it's wonderful when he hears this message about a missionary God. But it gets a bit different <laughs> when God says, you, <laughs> you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Uh, and I wish I had time. I don't. But I would love to go through the different excuses in the rest of chapter 3 and through chapter 4, where, where he uses all these different excuses about why, really, God, you've got the idea wrong here. You, you must have been thinking about somebody else. Because when you study those excuses, you find this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Richard will, will, and Kiva will agree with me on this, and many of you will. We still use those excuses today exact same excuses. But in the last few moments I have this morning, I want to take you to the one verse, and it's this question at the beginning of chapter 4. After his latest excuse, God says to him, 
Moses, what is in your hand? Moses got all these excuses about why he's inadequate, why it couldn't be him. Oh, I can't speak properly. They'll not believe me. Send somebody else. And God says, Moses, look, stop a moment, Moses. What have you got in your hand? And Moses says, my, my, my staff. My staff. This is the very staff that I, I use. Uh, every morning I get out of bed. I spend the day with the sheep. I use it to club off the wild animals and guide the sheep. And, uh, and it's my staff. It's a symbol of who I am. It's a symbol of what I can do. It's a symbol of my skills, what I can contribute to, to, to my, my occupation, my life, day by day. What is in your hand? And God says, throw it on the ground. I want to do a quick Northern Ireland translation of that. If you can excuse me to use the Scriptures in this way, give it to me. Give it to me. So he throws it on the ground. And as he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. Uh, and God says, pick the snake up by the tail. I don't know a lot about snakes, but I'm, I believe picking him up by the tail is not a good idea. Am I right? Um, you see, St. Patrick apparently got rid of all the snakes from Ireland. So I don't know anything about snakes, all right? But I do know that you don't pick them up by the tail. But as he picks it up by the tail, in obedience to the Word of God, it turns back into his staff again. He says, make it available to me. Give it to me. What's in your hand, Moses? Give it to me. And I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going beyond the Scriptures here with my imagination, but I see that staff in his hand as he walks towards the Holy Land again. I see that in his hand as he walks into the the presence of Pharaoh and says, let my people go. I see that in his hand as those, those uh, miracles are enacted. I see that in his hand uh, as he leads the people out uh, of Egypt towards the promised land. I, I see that in his hand uh, as he comes up to the Red Sea and the Red Sea's parted. I see it in his hand uh, as he goes and he gets the, the water from the rock, strikes the rock with the staff. I see it in his hand as he climbs up the mountain to receive the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the instructions about how to be the covenant people of God. I see it in his hand as he ultimately goes and he surveys the promised land before he goes to be with the Lord. The message is simply this. If you give it to God, if you make it available to God, you never know where it's going to take you. You never know. So let me ask you a question, my brothers, my sisters here in uh, Carleton and in, in Texas today. Uh, what, what is in your hand? What, what, what's in your hand, dear sister? What, what's in your hand, dear brother? What has God given you? And will you make it available to God? Will you make it available to God? Because uh, as you do, you never know where that's going to take you. I, I was delighted we were singing a song earlier on about here I am, send me. I, um, I was riding my bike between my... Uh, my um, uh, area where I lived, a little rural estate um, subsection, is that the word? 
Subdivision, subdivision. Uh, I was on my bike from my subdivision um, going about five miles to my church for a prayer meeting one morning. And uh, as I was going along, I just had been reading that passage, Here I Am, Send Me, from Isaiah 6. And I was just linking in my head with, with uh, Joshua 24, you know, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And uh, as I was going along the bike, I just profoundly meant it. It was one of those moments when I really communicated with God the intention of my heart. Here I am. I made it available to God. Uh, that was at the age of 15. Within a matter of days, I, I was out on the beach in Northern Ireland doing uh, child evangelism, you know, child, uh, beach mission. Uh, I was going into little subdivisions all around the Londonderry, um, sharing the good news with little flashcards, you know, telling biblical stories, teaching them memory verses from the Scriptures, playing my guitar, teaching them really cheesy children's songs, you know. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was my first step. Two months later, someone came up to me and said, we want you to run our church, or, so our school, um, Christian group in the school. Do you have Scripture Union or Christian Union in school, something like that? Uh, maybe not. So some sort of Christian grouping within the church. Sorry, it's within the within the church, the school. Uh, and then um, before long, I was finding myself at the age of 16 being called to preach as as a, what we call in or, uh, in in England uh, local preachers or lay preachers. Um, and I was finding myself at the age of 16 going along to my superintendent minister and telling him, "Look, I'm ready to take over from Billy Graham if he would just step aside. Uh, I'm ready." <laughs> Uh, and then it took me to Bible college instead of going to university for a sort of secular degree. I went, and that's where I met my, my lovely wife, Alison. And uh, then we, we went from there to being a lay pastor at the age of 19. Uh, and then from there, uh, I went to um, offer for full-time ordained ministry. Age of 23, I got my first pastorate. And, uh, you know, served for five years in six churches, little churches around West Tyrone in Northern Ireland. Uh, and then for the last 12 years, I've been ministering in South Yorkshire on, on the, the circuit that Kiva served with me on. I became superintendent just about the same time as Kiva arrived, so she got a raw deal, really. Uh, but uh, I was learning the ropes of being uh, a superintendent. She was learning the ropes of being a minister, so we were good company. Uh, but, you know, every step of the way, and just a year ago, felt a calling to start investing into the lives of uh, people who are preparing for ministry of different forms in the church in our region. So as Kiva says, I'm working in the university doing ministerial training, etc. And every step of the way, if you'd said to me when I was walking along, uh, riding along on my bike at the age of 15, if you'd said to me, Sean Adair, one day you will be preaching in Carleton, Texas, I would have said, I'll just take that back, actually, God. The other thing I just said, I'll just take that back. Yeah. Um, because that looks a bit big to me. Folks, quite seriously, uh, what is it that you've got in your hand? I have found throughout my life that as you give to God what is in your hand, when you make it available to Him, He's able to take it and use it for His glory in ways you'd never imagine. It's your availability and not your ability that matters. In fact, I'll let you into a secret, when you think you're able you tend to get in the way of God. Make yourself available to Him, and you will find 
that God will use you in ways that you could never imagine. We've got a missionary God who invites us all, not just as ministers or preachers, but as teachers, as business people, as, as uh, shop assistants, as restaurant owners, whatever the task, whatever the role, voluntary, paid, whatever it is, we've got a God who can use us just where we are. Make it available. What's in your hand? Make it available to God today. Let us pray. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, um, we simply reach out from our hearts today, and we maybe just where we're sitting right now, if you want to respond in this way, I invite you to put your hands out in front of you uh, and just think about the gifts, the skills, the abilities that you have, and just simply say to God, look, I have these gifts, I have these skills, I make them available to you today. It's not my ability, but my availability that matters to you, missionary God. Lord, may my life be to your glory today and always. What is in your hand? We make it available to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Dean. Bless you.